And we welcome you into another edition of the Saturday Tailgate, ESPN 1025, The Game. No Nick Kale today. No Nick Kale today. Just me, myself, and I. But just like Beyonce says, it's me, myself, and I. That's all I got in the end. Nick Kale leaving me the keys to the vehicle of the Saturday Tailgate. Marquis Munson here with you. And I think it's one of those situations where you leave me the keys it's like you leave your your kid the keys to the car, and you're you're worried about them wrecking it. And I may wreck it, but I will bring it back home. It will be in the driveway when Nick Hill wakes up in the morning and watches some college football. So we're going to talk a lot today. We're going to talk to Wes Rucker. We're going to preview the Alabama-Tennessee game. That is tonight. And we're also going to preview Michigan and Penn State today with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. So we got a jam-packed show talking some college football. And I got to watch some college football last night because I know everybody was watching the World Series and or the MLB playoffs, not the World Series just yet. Me personally, I'm boycotting Major League Baseball because the Dodgers didn't make it. So I'm boycotting them until next October. So I'll see you guys then. But I got to watch some college football last night. One game that I did, I watched, and this shows you how much of a of a college football nerd I am, because I will watch any college football game on TV. I think we've addressed that time in and time out throughout this show, that I will pretty much watch whatever college football game is on TV, because once January gets here, February, you're going to miss it, and you're not going to have it, and then you're going to wish you did have one game. And you're going to have to be, you know, be stuck watching sports that you, quite frankly, aren't into in that time span. So you're going to miss this time. So I, I take advantage of those. Even on a Thursday night when I got to watch UCLA and Stanford, two teams that, quite frankly, aren't competing in the Pac-12 at all. But last night I got to watch Pittsburgh and Syracuse. Now, what's funny about this game is going into the season, we thought when we looked at Clemson's schedule – we thought, okay, the first couple games are going to be tough for Clemson. You know, they got Texas A&M on the road. That's going to be a tough game. This may be Dan Mullen's year. Or not Dan Mullen, but but Jimbo Fisher. This may be Jimbo Fisher's year to where he gets this offense going. He gets this Texas A&M team where they need to be in the SEC. Ah, that didn't happen. Clemson dominated them. And Clem- or Syracuse was another one of those teams. We've seen this Syracuse team give problems to Clemson before. We saw it a couple years ago when they defeated Clemson and almost derailed their whole college football playoff hopes. And this year, they didn't do that either. And this Syracuse team is awful. I watched that game last night, and I felt bad for Tommy DeVito. They lost that game to Pittsburgh 27-20. to They now fall 3-4 and of the season. Pittsburgh, by the way, 5-2 and this season so far. So a good job by Pittsburgh this year. But, man, I felt bad for Tommy DeVito. He's the most sacked quarterback in college football. Last night, they had nine sacks. Pittsburgh had nine sacks as a team. Tommy DeVito got hurt in that game. And, I'm quite frankly, I'm surprised he made it this far. I'm surprised Tommy DeVito has made it seven games without getting banged up because this offensive line was terrible last night. He was getting destroyed. And it finally caught up to him and he got hurt. It, it seems like, and it was funny because a lot of people were going into this season like, hey, man, you guys got to look out. Tommy DeVito, man, he's going to be a good player to watch this year. He's going to be a good quarterback to watch. It's hard to watch Tommy DeVito play football and play quarterback 
when half of the time that I see him, he's either running for his life or he's on the ground. And I felt bad for him watching that game. And, you know, Syracuse got that loss, and you kind of wonder now in the ACC, who's going to challenge Clemson? Because it wasn't Syracuse, and maybe it's Pittsburgh. Maybe it's going to be down the line. Maybe it's going to be a Wake Forest team that's 5-1, and lost that game to Louisville. Maybe that'll be a team, but the ACC is just awful. But also another game and another team I feel sorry for is Northwestern, because I like Pat Fitzgerald. I think he's a good coach, and he's 1-5 this season so far after losing to the Buckeyes 52-3 to last night, and wow. this and, and this is not the game that I say that Ohio State is the real deal. I didn't need to watch them beat Northwestern to be like, you know what, this Ryan Day guy, he's figured it out. I, I think this is the game. Right here, he's figured it out. This guy's legit. This is the game that Ryan Day has proved that he's legit. No, I, I didn't think that at all. I knew it was going to be a thumping. But 52-3, to Justin Fields has another great game, 194 yards passing, four touchdowns. J.K. Dobbins and, and Teague was running the ball well. J.K. Dobbins had 121 yards. And, you know, that Northwestern offense just couldn't get any rhythm going. And they had 199 total yards in offense and maybe that's just saying how good this Ohio State team is because going into the season I thought this Ohio State team on offense was going to be pretty good but obviously the defense had its concerns and even last year but this year and and I know we're taking the Northwestern game as an example of how good Ohio State can possibly be on on defense but man they chase young and, and a lot of these other guys on this defense this defense is pretty legit. And, you know, obviously the big test is going to be next week. And are they going to be able to stop Jonathan Taylor in that running game of Wisconsin? And that's going to be the big test for this defense. But, man, this defense has just looked impressive over the last couple weeks. And, and this Ohio State team has looked impressive in general because usually going into, and we're in week eight of the season now, going into week eight and going to these late weeks, this is when Ohio State kind of has those speed bumps. You know, they lose to opponents that they're not supposed to lose to. They lose to the Iowa States and the Purdue's of the world that end up finishing the season at 6-6, six and six, and they lose these games. And this year, is, is this doesn't seem like that's going to be the case this year. Now, their next couple games, um, they got Wisconsin next week, obviously, but then after Wisconsin, you win that game, you're in good shape because you got Maryland at home. And I know I was buying into the Mike Loxley hype, but uh, not anymore. They're still 3-3, three and three though. But And then you got Rutgers, who's struggling as well. So, I mean, if you're Ohio State, you're in good shape to avoid the speed bump that you're normally hitting every single season. But now it's the test of Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan later on in the season. But speaking of Michigan, Captain Kurt. Let's get to the spotlight. It's time. This is our time. For the Saturday tailgate spotlight. It's Shining a light on the biggest matchups this weekend in college football. Ah, yes, the Saturday spotlight. Number 16, Michigan, going to Penn State. That's going to be a tough road matchup for Jim Harbaugh and this team. The whiteout game at Penn State. Everybody's going to be singing Sweet Caroline and Man, every bar in Nashville and every bar in Tuscaloosa made me hate that song. So 
I can only imagine how Jim Harbaugh is going to feel hearing that song blasted over a hundred thousand people screaming fans in that and that's going to be a good game. Both teams go into this game kind of controlling its destiny in this in this conference. And Penn State obviously undefeated this season so far, and you know Sean Clifford's playing lights out. He's an athletic quarterback that can get outside the pocket, can extend plays. They got a very physical defense. But on the other side of things, when you look at Michigan, and I watched Michigan in that Iowa game, and and that Iowa defense is good, and I also watched them in that Wisconsin game. Their defense is, is okay. Their defense is good. I think they played good against Iowa, but at the end of the day, how much are you going to take away from you know, Michigan's defense being able to shut down Nate Stanley. Like Nate Stanley's a good quarterback in this in this conference, but I wouldn't put him up there with a Sean Clifford, a Justin Fields. I wouldn't even put him up there with Cohen from Wisconsin. Like I wouldn't put him up there in that in that plateau. So and they forced him with three turnovers in that game. But this is gonna be a physical matchup. This is gonna be a game that Jim Harbaugh needs. This is a game that will get you to two losses of the season if you lose this game, which means all the pressure is going to be on that Ohio State game. Because not because his expectations is to compete at a high level in this conference. And when you fall to Wisconsin, you fall to Penn State, and then at the end of the season, if you lose to a first-year head coach in Ryan Day, and then not only a first-year head coach, but that's 0-5 against Ohio State for your career. That's not a good look for for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. So this is kind of – I'm not really big on saying this is a must-win game for this coach, but this is as must-win as it gets for Jim Harbaugh for the psyche of this team moving forward. And, and it's going to be a tough road environment for them in this whiteout game against Penn State. And we'll preview that game with Bill Bender of the Sporting News in the second hour of the program. But we move on to the Pac-12. And Oregon and Washington, Oregon ranked 12th and Washington 25th in the country. And these are two teams that, going into the season, a lot of people expected to be in that Pac-12 championship game and expected one of these two teams to be the representative of the Pac-12 to potentially make it to a college you know, football playoffs, and, and neither one of these teams are on pace with that. Maybe Oregon more so than Washington right now. You know, Washington's defense is playing well. Jacob Eason is doing well this season so far. But, you know, this Oregon team with Justin Herbert hasn't really lost a step since losing that game against Auburn. And I know that's going to be a loss that kind of kicks them in the butt later on because, you know, you lose that game and obviously Auburn, you lose that game to a freshman quarterback at that on the final drive of the game. And that has to be a tough loss. But I'm still of a component of you can still make a conversation for the college football playoffs, if you lose a non-conference game and you win your division, if Auburn shows up and they're world beaters and they end up, you know, winning their their not not winning the conference, but you know they played well, and if they would end up beating Florida, it makes them look even better. And you know, obviously, they'll probably end up losing to Alabama and they'll probably end up losing to Georgia, but we don't know what Georgia's psyche is after losing that game to South Carolina. But you know, this team still has a potential to win the Pac-12 and to make it a conversation for the college football playoffs. I don't think they're going to go to the college football playoffs because 
of that one loss. And, and if, that, if that's their only loss, if they get this win against Wisconsin, who's a tough team, if later on down the line they get a win against Utah or, or Arizona State or some one of these other teams, they're, they're in good shape to get back into that conversation. But speaking of the Pac-12, though, before we go to break, Arizona, number 17, against number 13, Utah. And I'm, I look at Tom, I look at Herm Edwards in his second season with the Sun Devils. He's five and one this season, and he's in good position to also compete for the Pac-12 title in his second season. And he has a young quarterback in Jaden Daniels, who he has three 300 yard passing games this, this season through six starts in his career. And he's also third in Pac-12 in yardage, only trailing Anthony Gordon, who we see with that air raid offense with Washington State. He's going to put up those numbers. And Jacob Eason, who is also in the top of that Pac-12 umbrella. And he also has a good running back as well. And Eno Benjamin, who kind of helps him out, kind of spread that offense out a little bit. So, And, you know, the Sun Devils defense is also no slack. And, you know, this Arizona State defense, you know, does a great job at stopping opposing teams from completing big plays and especially plays over 50 yards. So this Arizona State team going against Utah today, this is not a slacker. Arizona State team. This Arizona State team won seven games last year, and they're going into this game where this can be a momentum boost for this program because Utah was another one of those teams that we put on that pedestal to compete for a college football playoff, being one of those dark horse teams. And obviously they lose that game against USC, and that kind of derailed those plans, but they can kind of get back into it if they can get a win against Arizona State. But that's enough for out-of-conference play. We're going to get into the SEC when we come back. We're going to talk about some of the big games in the SEC this weekend. You are listening to Saturday Tailgate. I'm Marquise Munson, and you're tuned in to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 102.5 The Game. That's right. You are listening to Saturday Tailgate, ESPN 1025 The Game. This is not Gary Danielson on CBS. This is Marquise Munson, and you're listening to Saturday Tailgate, ESPN 1025 The Game. But speaking of the SEC and speaking of CBS, Captain Kurt, let's get to the SEC swing. Now, let's focus in on the Southeastern Conference. thought on every SEC matchup this weekend. Let's begin with number nine, Florida at South Carolina. A very emotional weekend last week for both teams. Now, the Gators are coming off that tough loss to LSU where they hung in there for three quarters until the Tigers offense kind of ran away with that game. And obviously that's kind of what they do if you've ever watched this LSU offense of, you know, that that was one of those games that LSU, this is the first game that I see I saw the offense keep it close, maybe since the Texas game, where they kept a game close, but then obviously that offense just wears you down with Joe Burrow and and all that talent that he has on the outside. So, you know, the Tigers offense was able to run away with that game, but luckily for Dan Mullen and the Gators, you know, one drop, you know, they only dropped a couple spots in the rankings, and, you know, they still can compete for that top team in the SEC East with Missouri and also Georgia, who had that loss against the Gamecocks last week, who they're coming off one of the biggest wins, I think, in Muschamp's era, that overtime win against Georgia last week. And now they're looking to do something more. They're looking to do something they've never done before, and that is get consecutive wins against top 10 opponents. And 
you know, a lot of that is credit to Ryan Helensky and what he's been able to do this season. We saw brushes of what he was able to do in that Alabama game, and then you kind of looked at this kid like, okay, this kid can, you know, this kid can play ball. And, you know, he left that game, even when he left that game with that knee sprain, he will start today against Florida. And, you know, this is a tough defense that Ron Helensky is going to go against with this Florida defense. 26 sacks and 12 interceptions for this Florida defense this year. And that's kind of been the main positive about that. I know a lot of people wanted to see a lot from Florida's offense under Dan Mullen and Felipe Franks and obviously Felipe Franks suffered that horrific injury, you know, early on in the season against Kentucky. And then now Kyle Trask is in the game as well. But Kyle Trask has been playing well in the last couple weeks. So, you know, and what made South Carolina's offense look so good last week was they were able to run the ball. And I put a lot of emphasis on that because, you know, I I think Rico, you know, and that running game that South Carolina has can kind of help out Ryan Haliski a little bit in this offense. And that's what they did last week against Georgia, where they were able to run the ball 142 yards against a Georgia defense that, you know, quite frankly, are the best in the SEC at stopping the run. And now they're going to have to do that again because you have a Florida defense who also does that well, you know, just like Georgia does. And they're missing one of their top linemen and, and missing one of their top linebackers. So, you know, this is one of those games that South Carolina can take advantage of in the run game, maybe get Ryan Helensky going. You don't know, and it's funny because you go into this game and, you know, Kyle Trask is, is playing lights out. And I'm still wondering about the South Carolina defense. They played well last week against Jake Fromm. You know, Kyle Trask didn't play bad in that game against, you know, LSU last week. Threw for 310 yards. He completed 69% of his passes. So, you know, Kyle Trask is playing a good season so far since becoming the starter at Florida, but... You know, I see Florida. I think Florida's a good team, even with Felipe Franks being out. I think Kyle Trask has done a great job at taking over this program and making it in his own. I think Dan Mullen is is one of the best game planners, I think, in the SEC. So, you know, I'm going to go Florida in this game. I think South Carolina is having a good season, and I think a lot of people had Will Muschamp on that hot seat list of maybe, you know, we need to look at Will Muschamp this season and see what he's able to do, but... I think that win against Georgia kind of saved the season just a little bit. And, you know, if he can get a win against, you know, Florida and Dan Mullen, that would be even better. But, you know, I think Dan Mullen will will make up for his loss against LSU and get the job done against Kentucky, or against South Carolina today. But Kentucky and Georgia today also, Georgia, tough loss, man. That Watching that game, especially some of the plays – towards the end of the game, some of the the mismanagement from Kirby's side of things in that game, you know, that just that, that was just a heartbreaking win or loss if you're a Georgia fan and everything that made Georgia such a great team was displayed in that loss against South Carolina. The offensive line didn't play well. You know, they couldn't get the run game going at a consistent basis. The receivers couldn't break away from the Gamecocks secondary and not to mention Jake Fromm who's usually the coolest dude, usually cooler than the other side of the pillow. When he was under pressure, he folded and he had three interceptions and he lost a fumble in that game. And that wasn't the Jake Fromm that we we've seen all season this year. But I think they got the message. You know, they know 
that now every game from here on out is no room for error. So they know now that you know you lose one game early in the season. You know, a lot of people will give you a pass. You know, Clemson got that pass a couple years ago when they lost to Syracuse, and they still made it to the college football playoffs. But when you have Missouri and you have Florida closing in on you in the SEC East, this makes this game not really a must-win, but a win to kind of get your momentum back mentally, to get Jake Fromm, get you know, get him back going, get this offensive line back going to where they're used to doing. You know, get DeAndre Swift and Zamir White and the rest of that running game. Get them going a little bit. And we've seen this Kentucky team that ever since Terry Wilson's season, you know, injury, this team hasn't looked good on offense. You know, now Lynn Bowden, who stepped in the game last week against Mississippi State, and he also played against South Carolina, you know, he had some spark in this offense. But, you know, I think LSU or Georgia cannot lose to another team that's on a second, third string quarterback. So, you know, I, th- I think Georgia will get the memo today. They do get the job done, and they get a big win against Kentucky. I wouldn't call it a big win, but they get a win against Kentucky today. Now, Arkansas and Auburn. Now, last time we saw Bo Nix, he threw an interception in the end zone, which basically ended that Tigers' undefeated season and that loss to, to the Gators. And now... There's more problems on this offense because Jatavius Whitlow is out for four to six weeks. So now you're going to have to do a running back by committee if you're Auburn. And I think that's what helped Bo Nix out a, a lot was Whitlow being able to run the ball, being able to hand the ball off to him and him doing his thing. But now it's kind of it's going to have to be Cam Martin. It's going to have to be DJ Williams. Maybe Malik Miller will step in in that backfield as well. But you're going against an Arkansas team today that has no identity on offense. None whatsoever. Boyd is a good running back, but outside of Boyd, Raheem Boyd, there's no offensive identity for this Arkansas team who's back and forth with quarterbacks. And I think this is going to be a win that Auburn gets back into it and and maybe down the line they can get some wins against a tough LSU team or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe upset some people. But, you know, I, I think this is one of those games that you want to get after the bye week that you want to get – Bo Nix back in rhythm into this offense because, you know, obviously it's going to be a tough task with Whitlow being out. But the final game that we're going to recap on the SEC swing is LSU-Mississippi State. Now, the nation's best scoring offense is LSU, and, you know, Joe Burrow is thriving in this Joe Brady offensive scheme. And he's, to me, in, in my opinion, probably tied for the Heisman race. I think it's a three-way tie, maybe a four-way tie. Between Jalen, Tua, Joe Burrow, and Justin Fields. I think it's it's those guys. Right now, if I were to give it to someone who had the tougher schedule, it's going to be Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has beaten Texas in a tough road environment, and then he's also beaten a very good Florida defense. So I think he's going to be able to thrive against this Mississippi State team who, I mean, Mississippi State's defense is good at getting takeaways, but... They're not good enough to keep up with this with this LSU offense that I think is really good. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go LSU in this one. And the other game, Texas A&M and Ole Miss, game of the week pretty much. That's, that should be a game everybody should be watching on their TV screens. Ole Miss and Texas A&M, that's going to be the game of the week. Kellen Maude versus this Rich Rod offense. No, I'm just kidding. But Texas A&M will get – Texas A&M actually shockingly played pretty well 
in that Alabama game, shockingly enough. And and I didn't think – I thought they were going to go into that Alabama game and, and Alabama was just going to dominate him, which they did towards the back end of the, of the, um, of the game. But Kellen Maude played pretty well, and I think he'll play pretty well against this Ole Miss defense who struggled all year to stop the quarterback. So I'm going to go Texas A&M in that one. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the real SEC game of the week, and that is Tennessee – Versus Alabama, the third Saturday of October. We're going to talk about that on the other side with Wes Rucker of Go Vols 247. When we come back, you're listening to Saturday Tailgate right here on ESPN 1025, the game. That's right. You're listening to Saturday Tailgate right here, ESPN 1025, the game. Marquise Munson, no Nick Kale today, but I brought some friends along for my ride, man. I'm not riding alone. I'm not riding solo. I got Captain Kurt on the other side of the glass, and I also got a friend of the program, Wes Rucker, who seems like he joins us every Saturday. We're going to just make this a Saturday thing where we just talk Vols with Wes Rucker of Go Vols 247. Wes, how you, how's it going, buddy? Doing well. How y'all doing this morning? Uh, doing great, man. I, I see that you're on route to Tuscaloosa, so I have to ask you, are you more excited to see the new lights at Bryant-Denny Stadium or how this new offense is going to work with the new quarterback under center? Yeah, I think maybe the light show, if I'm being honest <laughs> with you. Um, you know, I've, I've covered enough of these games the past few years to, to have a pretty decent idea how it's going to go. And uh, w- with that in mind, I, I think, you know, at least the light show will be really nice. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you know I've you know I've lived in Tuscaloosa, I've covered Alabama, and I went to high school there, so I have memories of you know the Terrence Cody block and that Tennessee Alabama game, and you know rivalries beforehand in 2003, you know Tennessee getting that overtime win in Tuscaloosa, and that's when this rivalry that third Saturday of October was was really good and. Over the last 12 seasons, it hasn't been that case. And from an Alabama perspective, and and I've talked to players before of asking them about this rivalry, and to the current Alabama fan base and to the current players, they don't even consider this game a rivalry anymore, which is sad because this is one of, you know, a historic rivalry in college football. But from a Vols perspective, being on the losing side of that, how how does Vols fans see this rivalry? You know, I think it's pretty much, you know, kind of exactly the opposite as it was 10, 12 years ago. You know, I, I think that it's interesting that this rivalry has always been a streaky one. And, you know, recently Bama's won, uh, you know, a dozen in a row. Not long before that, Tennessee, had, you know, hadn't lost a thing in about a decade. I mean, it, it, it's, it goes like that sometimes. And it's kind of unfortunate that, that they've not both cycled up at the same time and been good again. Because as soon as that happens and they're both good again, uh, I think you're in a situation where, you know, this rivalry starts to look like this rivalry again. Because I think when you look at it historically, I know some people might sort of disagree with this. I, I think it's pretty clear that when you talk about historically in Southern football, uh, there's nothing bigger than this game. Not, now, for Alabama, I agree. now, for Alabama, obviously it's Auburn now. For Tennessee, maybe it's Florida or Georgia now. I, I get that. But historically, if you're above a certain age, you know, I'm just old enough to remember growing up in the state of Tennessee when this was the game every year. It was the game. It was the one that, like, you know, everybody got the most fired up for. It, it was a big, big deal. And Tennessee has to kind of do its part to get it back to that because, you know, now Bama's playing Auburn every year. Bama's playing LSU every year. And those are bigger games because Tennessee's not 
hadn't been good. Tennessee's got to fix that. Yeah, and it's funny because Nick Saban mentioned it earlier this week of, you know, 20 years down the line when you get done playing at Alabama, the question that a lot of people are going to ask you, they're not going to ask you national championships. They're not going to ask you how many All-Americans you had. They're going to ask you what was your record against Tennessee and what was your record against Auburn. And I think in that 12-year span where we talk about this rivalry, a lot of people forget there were some pretty competitive games down the middle. I mentioned the Terrence Cody block and you know, also some of those games with Joshua Dobbs and and you know what Butch Jones was able to do in some of those games as well. And I think a lot of people forget that some of these games have been competitive, but we see the last couple seasons and it's been you know blowout victory by Alabama. And if it wasn't for a Tua pick six and a couple years ago, Alabama probably would have shut them out in Tuscaloosa. I think there's still some competitive games sprinkled in those twelve years. Sure, there have been, and, and you know it's interesting because. The decade before that, when Tennessee was kind of dominating the series, there there were more closer games. Tennessee just kept finding a way to win all of them. So, you know, I mean, th- th- this is the way this series, go- series goes. But, you know, right now with the way this Alabama team is built, you know, Bama used to be under Saban. It was built the same way for years. They'd kind of grind you down, and maybe it'd be close at the end of the first quarter. Maybe it'd be close at halftime. But then the third quarter, kind of the floodgates would start to open, and, and they would kind of – I called it the Bama Boa because it kind of suffocated you. Now they just kind of decapitate, strike you right from the beginning. With Tua and those offensive, with those skill position players, they just shred you right out of the gate. So Tennessee, in order to even compete in this game, has got to score a bunch of points because I see no way Bama scores anything less than 40 points, and that's maybe being kind tonight. We're talking to Wes Rucker of Go Vols 247, and let's let's talk about keeping up with that Alabama offense because I even saw it last week when Alabama played Texas A&M of Alabama's defense is very vulnerable at this point. And I think a lot of that has to do with having freshmen in there and you know kind of getting them jailed with, with the defense and, and what they're able to do. But I saw Texas A&M was able to get points on the board. Now, let's go back to last week with Tennessee and seeing how that offense flowed a little bit more against that Mississippi State team. And that's a Mississippi State defense that, mind you, there's no Montez Sweat, there's no Jeffrey Simmons, but they're able to create turnovers. And, you know, I saw a Tennessee team in that first half of that Georgia game and that Mississippi State game that I'm starting to see strides in this offense. Are you seeing that same thing? No, no question. You know, people forget you know, that was that was a twenty to ten game last week. Um, but Tennessee's starting quarterback got knocked out late in the first half, and Tennessee still threw two picks in the end zone, which took points directly off the board. Or that would have been could have been kind of a laugher. You know, I mean, I mean, Tennessee, you know, they've got really good wide receivers. I mean, uh, you know, this is going to be one of those rare weeks where Tennessee doesn't have the best wide receiver group on the field because Bama is on its own level, and then Clemson's kind of right below that on their own level, and then there's everybody else uh, But in terms of wide receiver talent. But Tennessee's wide receiver core is one of the best, I think, in college football. Those guys are going to make plays if you give them a chance. Tennessee's offensive line is playing a little bit better football these days. They're starting three five-star guys up front. They've got two good tight ends. You know, they got two you know speedy running backs and then a kind of a, a hammer guy in Tim Jordan. They've got pieces on offense, and I said that all along. If the quarterback plays okay, Tennessee will put points on the board because the rest of Tennessee's offense is, you know, at least pretty good or, or really good. Uh, they just they have to get good quarterback play. 
and early on this season, the, the quarterback play just could not have been worse. And that's why this football team's sitting here at two and four instead of maybe like a, you know, four and two or something like that. It, it's, it's down to the quarterback play and then a couple injuries on defense. And I'm glad you mentioned the wide receivers because when I watch Jennings play football, it just seems like to me he wants it more than any other guy on that field. And he's been – Oh, there's no question. It's been to me – like he's been the bright spot to me on that offense because it seems like no matter how how much we talk about this Tennessee team and how bad they've been, it seems like he's been the one guy to me that has played 100% every single game, down and out, against Georgia, whoever the opponent is. It seems like to me he's played that way. And am I I wrong on that or – because it, it no, just seems no, like you're he wants not. It and you know, it, it, it's funny that, that Rick Barnes, you know, Tennessee's basketball coach, always says that you know playing hard is a skill. It, it, it's not something you know. It, it's a skill just like anything else is a skill. And Jawan Jennings is point blank one of the most competitive football players I've ever been around. Uh, one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. You know, they call him dog for a reason. I mean, if, if you're sitting there wadding up paper, you know, putting up paper wads and throwing them in a trash can. He'll fight you over winning that game. I mean, he'll fight you over that. That's how competitive he is. And, and Tennessee used to have kind of a room full of those guys. Well, now they've got a couple of them. And it's kind of a shame because that's the one guy that I think could basically fit into any time any team, team Tennessee's had over the past couple decades. And it's just kind of a shame that he, he's had to play during this era, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but there's no doubt he's a special player. And, and I think now you're seeing that, that since his knee's getting a little bit better, uh, he's healthy for the first time maybe like three years. So he's actually able to run a little bit better now too. And I don't think, in terms of just getting him on the ground, he's got to be one of the hardest wide receivers to tackle in college football because the first guy almost never gets him on the ground. And usually it takes, you know, two, three, four guys to do that. And sometimes they still just kind of push him out of bounds. He is a relentless, relentless football player and has a competitive spirit. And I mean this. That's up there with anybody I've ever covered. He's just... That that's how freakish he is about the way he competes, and and I think he'll go into this game tonight. He won't be scared. If you throw him the ball, he'll try to make plays, and I think that's somebody they got to go to. And I, I, I kind of want to stick to this offense real quick by talking about is is it does it seem like the new is it the new quarterback that is bringing new spark to this team? Because we see in college football, we see with Florida with Kyle Trask. You know, we see with South Carolina with Ryan Helensky of getting a new quarterback under center kind of brings in a new spark. Is that the case for Tennessee, or is it finally Jim Chaney starting to get what he wants to do on offense? I think it's a, it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I think they're playing better up front, which helps a lot. You know, I, I think that they're I think that they're getting a little bit better play from the O line, and I think that Mauer getting in there. You know, Mauer's a kid that I've compared him to kind of a like a puppy, like he's really exciting. He runs around. Sometimes he might pee on the carpet, but you know he, he's gonna he's gonna do a lot of interesting things. He's gonna get people fired up, and he's the guy who can help you put points on the board. Uh, and I think that maybe you can see that the impact that's had on Garantano because when he came in, he played a lot better football last time. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he's a guy who has a, a bright future, and I don't know if he's gonna play tonight. They're calling that a game time decision, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, Mauer's a kid who. Uh, kind of doesn't know what he doesn't know, if that makes any sense. He just kind of runs around, he makes plays. There's no throw he thinks he can't make. There's no guy, no defender he thinks he can't make miss. He's an exciting player, and I think he's a guy who, uh, if he gets a chance to play tonight, he won't be scared. Now will he make mistakes? Tons. 
Uh, will he turn the ball over? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tennessee can live with that right now as long as he's doing some good things to get the offense kick-started because they need some juice right now. We're talking to Wes Rucker of Go Vols 247. And final thing, Wes, let's, let's talk about – now, Jeremy Pruitt had a comment earlier about his game plan going up against this Alabama team and, and kind of drawing some inspiration from a high school team of, you know, having being more aggressive and maybe going for it on fourth downs a little bit and, and – that's kind of his game plan. What do you see that actually being his game plan going into this game against Alabama? Of you will see more you know, of terms, a, a relentless Tennessee team. In in terms of that aggressiveness, I mean, I think you'll see some. I I think I don't think it'll be to that level. I think he's basically just pulling our chain at that point. And I'm actually the one who asked that question. And sometimes he likes to have fun when I ask him questions. So he he was having a little fun with that one. You know, doing his little country boy giggle kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, I think they, will they be aggressive? Yeah, because they have absolutely nothing to lose. You know, if you try something in this game that doesn't work, oh, well, you're still probably going to lose by 30, 40 points. I mean, that's just, that is what it is. When you're a five score underdog, that does, you know, kind of unchain you a little bit to go out there and just do whatever, whatever you want to do. And, and I think that's something that, um, we'll see how aggressive they are in this game, but, if they do an onside kick here and there, if they do some trick plays, would that surprise me? No. Because, again, you're sitting here on primetime ESPN. You might get your brains beat out. So you might as well go have some fun while you're at it. You know, you might as well show kids <laughs> that if you go to Tennessee that you can, have, you can have a little fun while playing football. And that if you're good and you're a freshman, you can play right away, which they're, they're selling like crazy right now on the recruiting trail. Wes Rucker. You can follow him on Twitter at WesRucker247. Make sure you go follow his work at Go Vols 247. Some great stuff there. And, and Wes, man, I may ask you real quick. Um, obviously, you're going to Tuscaloosa. I'm from Tuscaloosa. So what, are you going to try to get some barbecue when you go out there? Well, I, I try not to never go to – I try to never go to Tuscaloosa without getting Archibald. So, I'm try to get <laughs> so you're an Archibald's guy, huh? See, I, I, I meet a lot of people that are Archibald guys. That's more that's more of the underrated barbecue spot in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, Dreamland gets a lot of the love, but Archibald and Woodrow's, man, everybody has to go check that out when they go to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, well, Woodrow's is really good too. I'm an Archibald guy. I think the cuts of meat there are better, but they're both, man, they're both excellent places, <laughs> and the people who who work there, you know, on the places are good people and. You know, that's, I, I, I'm definitely going to try to hit that one, hit up that one in Northport before the game. Absolutely, West man. Appreciate you for joining us today, man, and enjoy your trip in Tuscaloosa, bud. No problem, man. Uh, hopefully, I'll stay awake for the whole game. <laughs> Absolutely, West Rucker of Go Vols two four seven. And look, that's a late game. That is a late, late game, and that game probably won't end till Pac twelve after dark. So, I mean, stay up for it. If you like, if you like blowout victories, stay up for it. If not, just go watch Michigan Penn State. But when we come back, we'll talk another SEC game that's locally, and that is Missouri and Vanderbilt. We'll talk about that a little bit to end the first hour of Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 1025 The Game. And you're tuned in to Saturday Tailgate. Marquise Munson here with you. ESPN 1025, the game here, Nashville's best sports talk. And speaking of Nashville, there is a local game today, and that is the number 22 Missouri Tigers facing the Vanderbilt Commodores. And Vandy fans, I'm going to – you guys remember last week 
the team that, and this is going to really make you guys feel bad, as a football team, you and and as you can tell, my voice got very low and very serious. You remember last week where Vandy lost that game at home to UNLV. You you remember that game? Well, guess what UNLV did yesterday? They lost to Fresno State fifty six to twenty seven. That is a team. That is a UNLV team that beat. Vandy, 34 to 10. And yesterday they lost 56 to 27. Does not make you feel good if you're a Vandy fan. And and look, I'm not finna I'm not gonna bash Derek Mason and I think he's a good guy. But and, and I think that's usually the problem is that people look at it like, man, it's just hard to say something bad about Derek Mason because he's just such a good guy. I've been in this situation before when I was covering Alabama basketball, and I'm tying basketball and football together, but I remember covering Avery Johnson. And Avery Johnson, the nicest basketball coach you can possibly have, the nicest guy, but he couldn't win games, and that was his problem. And it's the same thing with Derek Mason. That's his problem. You just can't win games. And to me, if you fire Bryce Drew in basketball for not winning any games in the SEC, Vandy's on pace, Vandy football is on pace to do the exact same thing. And so you're going to have, if you're Malcolm Turner, you have to justify to me why you made this decision in basketball when the, when I, I, I feel like, and this may be my opinion, but I think Bryce Drew had more grips and probably could have built that program up a little bit more than Derek Mason could have. Because Derek Mason's been here six years, and he's only won nine SEC games in six years. That's not good. That's not good at all. That's that's nine wins in six seasons in the conference alone. We harp on Jim Harbaugh. We make fun of Jim Harbaugh because he can't beat Ohio State. And if he doesn't win today, he's not going to be able to beat Penn State. And he lost to Wisconsin. But Jim Harbaugh gets 10 wins a season. Derek Mason can't even get 10 wins in the conference. And, 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 that, and that's a bad. And, and I know usually the, the term is, you, you know, if I didn't hire you, I'll fire you. And Turner didn't hire Derek Mason. He did, you know, help with the extension, but didn't hire Derek Mason. So... And I'm not calling for Derek Mason's job, even though I know a lot of people on social media that tends to be the fun thing to do is, is fire people. But you have to start thinking, if you're Malcolm Turner, is this going to work? Like, what what is the expectation for this football team? And it's not losing to UNLV, 34-10. to 10. A same UNLV, UNLV team, remind you, lost to Fresno State yesterday. But Fresno State scored 56 points in that game. And I'm going to keep harping on that. But let's get to their opponent, Missouri. Now, Missouri's going to this game. And ever since that that loss to Wyoming, where if they would have if they were undefeated this year, we could be considering them for not a college football playoff. That That's a little too far. But I look at this defense. This defense has been playing really well since that Wyoming game. Kelly Bryant is... A guy who's been to a college football playoff before. It's not like he. This is his first rodeo with big game situations. 
He's been to a college football playoffs before. And you have a one-loss Missouri team. Mind you, they haven't lost in the SEC. And they got Vandy today, and they probably won't lose today. Spoiler alert. Probably won't lose this game today. I mean, it's homecoming, and you know maybe Vandy will come out with a little bit more spark. It's homecoming, parades, and celebration. Maybe they'll come out with a little bit more spark, but... You know, this Missouri team with Kelly Bryant, Larry Roundtree, and that running game, they got wide receivers, one of the best tight ends in the country is on their team. This is going to be a tough rodeo for Vandy to get by this game because I haven't seen anything from them defensively that can convince me that they could stop anybody. They couldn't stop UNLV, who, mind you, fourth reminder of this segment, lost to Fresno State. 56 to 27 last, last night. Fun times if you're a Vandy fan. But this is going to be a tough game for Vandy. And I don't know what you do at this point because Riley Neal is not the answer at quarterback. And he's, he's shown that. The Purdue game, he played okay. But then every other game, he hasn't. And it seems like Keyshawn Vaughn can't get going on offense. I would just hand the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn 27 times a game if I was Vandy at this point, because he's the only spark you have on offense. And, you know, you see Jarrett Pinckney getting frustrated with with how this offense is flowing. And and mind you, and I know a lot of people are picking on Jarrett Pinckney because it's like, oh, he shouldn't he shouldn't do that on the sideline. I mean, he's a player that wants the ball. I mean, he, he's one of the best tight ends, you know, in the country. He wants the ball. Like, how do you expect a guy who wants the ball going to act? And, you know, Kalaja Lemscombe's not getting going. And the bad thing about it is Deuce Wallace is no better. Like, so it's just you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because, I mean, you have two quarterbacks that, quite frankly, you're not sold on. Because Riley Neal's the guy that beat Deuce Wallace of the job, and now you're going to go to the guy that lost the job in Deuce Wallace. And if you go to him, it's just like it's confusing times if you're a Vandy fan. But Vandy, Missouri, today – I'm going to go with Missouri in this game. But kudos to Missouri because that SEC East is wide open. Wide open. They're the only team in the SEC East right now without a loss in the SEC. Florida has that loss to LSU. Georgia has that loss to South Carolina. Missouri can pretty much control their own destiny. Now they're going to have to beat Georgia and they're going to have to you know, beat Florida to kind of prove that. But they're not going to lose to Vandy. And if they do, I'll be shocked. And if they do, it'll, it'll probably, I'm not going to say it'll save Derek Mason's season, but it'll make you sleep at night. It'll help you have a good homecoming. How about that? Because at the end of the day, you guys still lost to UNLV, who, before we go to break, as a reminder, lost to Fresno State 56-27. When we come back, we'll hear from some coaches, Coach Ed Ogeron, Herm Edwards, Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban. We'll hear from them in the Coach's Corner to kick off the second hour of Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 1025 The Game.